0: Welcome to the Clemson Goes to Hell Podcast, Episode 3 The Void. The lights in the Hypervader turned green. Something projected a faint grid of lines on the walls that matched his sense of motion as the Hypervader rose, rotated, then moved forward. The doors slid open, and Jotun held out a hand, indicating Clemson should precede her. He stepped out onto a dark plateau under a black sky filled with planets not little white dots in the sky or models hanging from a hidden ceiling. The planets were full-sized. Some were close enough that he could see the clouds swirling above the oceans and continents. This was a view of the void, something he'd only glimpsed as blurs like paint smudges while falling between portals. He scanned the spheres for Panthropolis, but there were too many. Walking to the edge, he looked down to see a roiling sea of black and purple thousands of miles below. Small planets honeycombed its surface, half-submerged like bubbles in a boiling pot. Vertigo drove him to step back. "'Isn't it beautiful?' Victor asked with a melodious lilt. Clemson jumped at her sudden appearance behind him. He looked around, realizing the Jotun hadn't joined him. Victor was the only person on the platform. She continued, "'We call that the Cradle of Worlds. Those are proto-worlds where mankind hasn't formed social groups larger than about 150 people. Their surfaces shift, and anything that tries to get near them just vanishes. Deadly but breathtaking.' "'Is that really the void?' He stepped forward again, but some trick of acoustics alerted him to a transparent wall. "'If light flowed through the void,' Victor tapped the surface, "'and these were windows, this is what you'd see. We call these depth-defining displays, or just three-vids. They're built by trained bacteria and powered by electricity.' He looked to the sides and noticed that the three-vids had a maximum viewing angle, beyond which the walls were darker than the space between the planets and entirely non-reflective. Based on the extents of the panel, he estimated that the room was only 50 feet from the hypervator to the far edge. The wall arched over his head like a greenhouse. If the hypervader was centered, the room was only 20 feet wide. Victor glided to a shelf amongst the wooden furniture that divided the room in half. Join me for a drink. Clemson examined the shelf of exotically shaped bottles, unable to form an opinion about their contents and dubious that any would be a good choice. Victor cocked an eyebrow and half-grinned, then spoke a single word. Clemson cringed as Hellion trade-speak stabbed his mind. The synthetic language had a complexity that overloaded his gift of tongues every time he heard it. Its syntax dug into his awareness like tree roots through pavement, and the extensive vocabulary swamped his sense of meaning. While maintaining the well-structured form of legalese, it still managed to overshadow the inherent slipperiness of arcology floor slang. Her words translated to "'I demand a witness.' A circular section of the art ceiling slid down to head height, and a machine above cast a weak spotlight on her. A gargle of syllables spewed from the machine, leaving him perplexed. He'd never seen a speaking machine that wasn't from Panthropolis, and his gift didn't translate for it. Victor spoke again. He couldn't grasp the full implications, but it decomposed to, "'I attest that I will not attempt to poison Clemson, nor will anyone under my command.' The machine blurted a quick response, then slid back into its hole. A little disoriented, Clemson asked, "'What was that?' "'A solemn oath not to poison you. Call it a bet. If I'm forced to poison you for some reason, it would cost me more than your life is worth, and your life is worth a lot. Will you join me for a drink now?' That was a better guarantee than he was expecting. If they wanted to poison him, he was pretty sure he'd already be poisoned. "'I'll have what you're having.' I don't know what hospitality to expect from the Ravagers of Worlds. Victor rolled her eyes. That campaign always comes back to haunt us. Rest assured that the perpetrators have been dealt with quite harshly. She poured a purple liquid into a pair of cordial glasses. What does harshly mean compared to keeping a world at bloody war for two centuries? Oh, that wasn't their crime. It's not like we could prosecute someone for selling things to people who want them. She put the bottle back on its shelf and carried the glasses to where he stood. How we lies too much on imports to forbid influencing other cultures. The real damage was to our trade opportunities. She made a show of pouring the purple liquid back and forth between the two glasses, then offered both to him. In effect, they were punished for getting us all sanctioned. They were damned with a colossal lien and most were disincorporated. Does that mean executed? He picked one at random. Execution is a prerequisite, Yes. "'Speaking of which, that Gladig has shown us the trail of our thieves. "'We should overtake them within the hour.' Vaxi, she called to the ceiling. "'Shift to abstract mode and display the impulse wake of the hecatomb.' The planets shrank and drew closer, transforming into spheres with geometric patterns and pastel colors representing continents and oceans. The impenetrable blackness of the background became an impenetrable light gray. The nearest planet now looked to be a few dozen feet away.' A speckled purple path extended towards the nearest planets near which a red ball pulsed. The contents of his cordial glass trickled down his throat with the smooth burn of a berry liqueur. His wonder shifted between the technology of the display and the view of the planets they provided. He noted with fascination that the room's furniture was reflected in his cordial glass, but the planets weren't. He held the glass between him and one of the planets, and refractions appeared when it came close to line of sight. Victor pointed to the dot. That's my stolen cargo ship. Vaxi display courses. Lines swept through each sphere in the display and illegible lettering floated near them. It says they're about a thousand kilometers away, an hour at our current speed. What's a kilometer? It had always puzzled Clemson that the world's used similar inches and miles, but he'd come to accept it. It's about six-tenths of a mile. Her eyebrows knit. They aren't moving. They should at least try to run and hide. A tone sounded and a half-height panel in the rear wall near the hypervader slid open. A small table rolled in, unattended, brass-domed plates sitting on its white cloth surface. "'Dinner has arrived,' she announced. "'Have a seat.' The trolley rolled to the room's far end where a meeting table sat under a half-domed ceiling. Angular limbs extended from the trolley and passed a set of dishes onto the table." "'They set two place settings—plate, glasses, silverware—laying the pieces out with a rhythmic beat like a dinner bell made of plywood.' "'Oh, right,' he commented. "'You have monks. I'd love to get a better look at them.' "'We call them daemons. They fill the same purpose but use different principles.' Clemson counted plates. "'Just us?' he cocked an eyebrow at her. "'The officers aren't ready for you, I'm afraid.' I wouldn't want them wasting our time with petty challenges when I have so many questions. She took a seat on the far side of the table. Clemson looked at the other seat, noting how the Damon avoided him. If you're intending to seduce me, he commented, I should warn you that I'm particularly thick about such things. She trilled a tinkling laugh and smiled broadly. Clemson, you say the sweetest things. Rest assured, should I have that inclination, I'll be very straightforward.' At the moment, I'd rather know how you took down the Visconti Conflagrante. I don't believe that you summoned a dragon. It's not your style. Summoned a dragon? That would have made things so much easier. I just sold him a flamethrower, knowing he would ignore the instructions. The main course consisted of a plate of baked tubers drenched in a flavorful orange sauce with a pepper base, arranged on a bed of greens. Delicious, but unsatisfying to Clemson's palate. Frustrated with trying to eat one-handed, he gave up on his fork and pulled a pair of pliers from his belt. They conversed about the vassal politics that surrounded his travels and obscure bits of Panthroplian history. A whoop-whoop noise interrupted them, and the walls strobed red. Clemson licked his pliers clean and put them away. That's not a good thing, is it? Victor turned to look at the icon representing the hecatomb. I think it's an attack warning. The Jezebel's never been attacked before. She consulted the three-vid, where a red speck moved towards them from the pulsing red dot. We should still be out of range of their defensive weaponry. She stood with an exasperated sigh. I'm afraid I'm going to have to cut our dinner short. Voxy, she announced, "Open the walls. The walls went black, then split vertically in several places, breaking the illusion of space. Their platform hung over a luminous white room like a gantry. The inner walls bloomed upward to meet the ceiling of the larger room below. The outer room's walls were also three-vid displays, and the inner walls merged with them seamlessly. A view graced the front wall similar to the one they'd been watching, but drawn back to include the Jezebel. Five building-like shapes rotated on the screen to the left, color-coded so that Clemson could tell that it was the five hyperhulls of a single ship. On the right, three more shapes turned, two of them tubular and one like a giant brick with four skinny grain silos attached. "'Captain, report!' Victor stepped off the edge of the platform. Clemson walked to the edge and saw that she had landed on a disc that eased her down to the floor about ten feet below. Blue-clad hellions sat at consoles that curved around the walls, and a trio stood at consoles in the middle, facing forward. Mr. McKeziel, what do we know? The question came from a well-decorated man sitting in a rigid, oversized chair below Clemson. A tall man stood while his fingers danced across a surface that resembled a drafting table. Purple welts peeked up over the man's collar. Arrows suggesting motion and acceleration appeared on the walls, and transparent cones implied probable eventual locations. It's a shuttlecraft, Captain. Intercept in 15 minutes. Victor glanced at the display on the right, then announced, Shoot it down. The people on board may have useful information, the captain countered. I don't want information. I want my ship back. Shoot it down. They haven't responded to our hail yet, he protested. I demand a witness, she declared with exasperation, trade speaks, stabbing Clemson in the brain. I accuse this man of insubordination while under fire. The man frowned and stood with his arms crossed, anger clear on his face. The familiar sexless voice made an incomprehensible response. In the seconds that followed, Clemson felt like he was the only one breathing. A voice made another pronouncement. A high-pitched whine came from somewhere below. The captain's eyes went wide. He took a single step before a whirring projectile flew into the back of his head and exploded with a pop. The hellion dropped to the floor, a small section of the back of his skull now splattered across the floor. Clemson sucked in a breath, but Victor just covered her eyes with a hand as if hiding from embarrassment. Everyone else stared at their panels, pretending that nothing had happened. Victor stepped over the corpse and took the chair. Abaddon, do we have a firing solution? The woman looked up from her console and replied, Yes, Victor. Then shoot it. Starburst or hellfire? One of each. Firing. A point of yellow light appeared on the display, followed by a white one. Interception in eight minutes. Somewhere below Clemson, a door opened. Two men in vibrant red jumpsuits guided a gurney and a big metal cylinder to the body. Those on the bridge ignored the men as they loaded the former captain onto the gurney, then connected the gurney to the side of the cylinder. A panel in the side of the cylinder slid open and two spindly mechanical arms reached out. They grabbed the cadaver around the neck and pulled its head into the space behind the panel. A mechanical whirring preceded a wet crunch, and a green light on top of the cylinder turned on. The color of the men's jumpsuits hid the blood that spurted onto them. One attendant wheeled the machine out like a wheelbarrow. Clemson took deep breaths, attempting to relax the strangling tightness in his chest while the other attendant wiped up the blood as if someone had spilled their drink. Clemson wasn't sure what disturbed him more, the man's death or the impression that this was a common occurrence. Victor popped up next to Clemson, launched by the disc that had caught her on the way down. Hellions must not suffer from bad knees. He asked... "'Victor, if I may be so bold, why did you kill your captain?' Sadness washed over her features. "'I'm sorry you had to see that. I didn't kill him. That was a suicide.' She held up a finger to stave off his objection. "'Voxy, bring up the balance sheet for Dragar Truffle. Convert the ledger to Panthroplian. A wall to the right folded back down and a mammoth ledger appeared behind the wall. The numbers added up to a negative number around a hundred. Victor tapped the back of her hand and hands identical to hers appeared within the wall. A finger touched the word "Violations," and a scroll came up from behind the ledger unrolling to reveal a long list. The bottom entry was labeled "Insubordination," with a value of four point one seven three, followed by a seven point three x multiplier labeled "Under fire." Around age 150, hellions sometimes feel that they've plateaued, Victor explained. Despondency can send their societal contributions into the negative. This isn't the first time he's endangered the crew. If they don't get over themselves before their balance hits a life century, they become damned. What does that mean? I'll spare you the trade-speak headache. They're killed, then their connectome is scanned and stored in the database of the damned. If someone pays off their damnation, their connectome will be inserted into a youthful clone. The memories provide continuity of identity, if not personality. The new incarnations are indentured until they pay off their debt. He's been a loyal employee, so I'll probably pick up the next Dragar truffle. Clemson read up the list of violations. Even the dates had been translated to a panthroplean equivalent, and Dragar Truffle had been racking up bad behavior for five years. The way he stomped on Victor's toes, he wasn't just asking for it, he was insisting on it. While he read down the list, Abaddon called up, The target isn't dodging or deploying countermeasures. Impact in five seconds. The yellow dot merged with the one representing the shuttle, and a red sphere expanded from it. Confirmed, destroyed. The white dot vanished moments later. "'Victor, we have a problem.' "'This came from Mr. McKeziel. "'The shuttle was destroyed, but it released a phage.' "'A phage? Down here?' "'The concern in Victor's voice didn't reach her face.' "'Is it a threat?' "'The shuttle vanished on the big display on the right "'to be replaced by a black amorphous mass surrounded by writhing tentacles.' "'It would be if it had been released much closer,' McKeziel responded. "'We'll have to go around, and it's blocking our view of the hecatomb.' Adjusting course to avoid, Clemson wasn't sure who announced that, but the lines describing the Jezebel's course shifted, avoiding a purple bubble that appeared around the phage. Victor turned back to Clemson. "Do you know about phages?" Clemson shook his head. "They show up in flocks after a planet's been depopulated and disintegrated." Mr. McKeziel announced, "I've spotted them. They've gone under the planet and are headed slowward. The projected course leads to hell." Lovely. Set an intercept course. Catch them before we get into Helian void space. Voxy, close the walls. As the walls folded down around them, he followed her back to the sideboard. She poured herself another drink. We aren't going to catch them. They thought the Jezebel was faster. It is, but travel across time domains has an acclimation cost. If we rise too quickly, we'll die of hypothermia. While under the planet, they benefit from the planet's time stability. Her drawl somehow made even technical terms sound like a social event. They're getting a head start. By under, you mean wither, right? Yes. For some forsaken reason, while the rest of society calls it up, people on void ships call it down. Very confusing. What happens when we reach hellion void space? That's the Void Patrol's domain. They enforce a strict no-shooting policy. Even I would be tagged as an aggressor and vaporized. Could we appeal to them for help? If our objective were to have the entire cargo impounded as contraband, then that would be a good way to go. Its cargo would be filtered through the gristmills of corruption, and I have far more valuable property on that ship than you do. I'd be better off letting them pass and hunting them down on the surface. She tapped her nose with a finger theatrically, then pointed at Clemson. May I offer you a business proposition? Does it involve going to hell? Yes, but that isn't as bad as it sounds. If you ever want to see your mule again, you're going to have to help us look. I know you can see thaumaturgy in use, and that may be crucial. The obstacle is that you'd have to sign yourself into a period of indentured servitude. Clemson mulled over that. How long a period? Is this one of those scams where the company store owns your soul? No. Captive consumers make for a poor economy. I guarantee that lack of funding won't be what keeps you on the planet. Voxy, please display a view from my penthouse. The tactical display faded to be replaced by a breathtaking cityscape. Elegant spires of glass and steel rose over a carpet of skyscrapers. Multicolored ground vehicles crawled along gray ribbons bordered by strips of vegetation. A sprinkling of flying craft flew around transparent walkways that reached between towers. This is Malibu's capital city of hell and home to 30 million people. Voxy, do the tour. The image shifted to a field of well-manicured grass speckled with trees. Spires peeked over the trees that surrounded the field. Couples in groups sat on blankets or benches, threw balls around, or jogged on a track. Hell is the word for earth in our language. Why so many people use it as a pejorative is a matter of deep philosophy, but it all comes from people who have never spent time there. The blatant sales job annoyed Clemson, but he let it slide, giving Victor room to make mistakes. The scene changed to a view of a sporting event in a colossal stadium. Men and women wearing two colors chased a ball around. Tens of thousands in the stands, representing a wide range of skin tones and body types, stood and cheered as the ball was kicked across the field. Our world is made of people like any other. Continuous immigration has allowed us to absorb a rich culture. The view shifted again, now revealing a semicircular room full of desks that faced a podium. A crimson-faced man spoke to a prim audience. Our democratically elected representatives preside over the operation of government, providing the economy with a stable foundation. The image now split, displaying massive metal ships being unloaded on the left and a colorful multi-level shopping structure on the right. A heavy question, Clemson interrupted. Where are the children? Victor stopped confusion and concern, clouding her flawless complexion. Children? She asked, as if she didn't understand the word, but then added, You don't know. She was playing games and Clemson didn't appreciate it. Know what? Her expression shifted to one of sympathy. Hell has no children. We've been sterile for two thousand years. Anybody who's ever gone over the cusp or traveled the void is sterile. She paused, sadness filling her eyes. Clemson couldn't tell if she was putting on a show, as are the Children of the Gifts. She walked over to a bookcase near the sideboard. Now I know you're lying. I've had children since I left Panthropolis. You might want to sit down. She handed him a book with Panthropolian print on the cover. The Chronicles of Clemson Murawo Shoaza, The Builder, Book 2. He scanned the opening sentences while Victor continued. The paternity tests are in Appendix 6. Julius turned out to be the son of Marius Deraginus, a foot soldier in your 3rd Regiment. Valesco was easier to determine, being the spawn of General Graginus, who killed Deraginus about a year before Valesco's birth. Clemson accepted this as unprovable, but not improbable. His wife had always required more attention than he had available. Can I keep this? he asked, having been relieved of his remorse for killing Graginus on the way out. My gift? You deserve to know. It's always enlightening to see what others are writing about you. I'll have copies of the other two volumes sent to your room. He closed the book and set it on the table, taking a seat. While they were focused on the attack, the mechanical servants had removed the dishes. Victor took the seat across from him and stayed quiet as the walls shifted from a concert venue featuring a string quartet to an amusement park with dangerous-looking rides. He had no idea what to expect from hell, but this little drama gave him a clue about what they wanted him to believe. And he took an intuitive leap. Let's draw up a contract. I'll give you up to a year, hell time, during which you will be responsible for keeping me alive. After which, you are required to extract me from hell and drop me into a fast time-set planet. Does that work? I can't guarantee your safety if you get heavy-handed, but otherwise it's amenable. Voxy, bring up the contract module's playset. We need to build a relationship. End episode three. Hi again, Rob here. I'd like to do a shout out to all 15 of my listeners. Apparently at some point last week, I was number one science fiction podcast in Norway. So hi, Norway. I have no idea what that means, but it's very entertaining. Again, thanks for listening. Catch you next week.